everyone, Rowan Odom here. We're pleased to showcase Dark Dice, a free horror actual play podcast. Chills and thrills await in this creepy campaign, brought to life with a fully original soundtrack. Follow the heroes as they try to survive the exhaustion, stress, and cold in Domain of the Nameless God, the show's first season. Each new season will follow a new story and cast, including a mix of first-time players and folks you might recognize, like Jeff Goldblum, Lily Pichu, and Jasper William Cartwright. Combat is edited to be condensed and enjoyable, while still playing true to the dice rolls. Every terrifying monster feels like it's actually in the room with you. Dark Dice is available for free however you listen to podcasts, or at darkdice.com. So ask yourself, do you seek him? This episode is brought to you in part by BroadlyEpi.com. Whether you want to level up your public health or programming skills for free, want to rent a scientist, or just keep up to date with some of the latest research in public health, go check out BroadlyEpi.com. They also offer custom software solutions for both quantitative and qualitative data analysis and have some tools ready-made on the website. BroadlyEpi.com. Epidemiology, broadly speaking. Hello, listeners. This is Ty Vaughn, writer for Syntax and voice of Silas Caldwell. I'm thrilled to showcase our sponsors, the exceptional creative software suite, World Anvil. World Anvil is the one-stop shop for tabletop gamers, fantasy and sci-fi authors, or world-building enthusiasts who just can't wait to start getting some thoughts down. This is far from just a wiki editor. They have a number of tools and features available, including world-building templates, an RPG campaign manager, a novel writing and publishing tool, interactive map builders, timeline builders, and more. Your vast web of outlines, character plots, and family trees has a home waiting on World Anvil. Check out the full features using the link below or by visiting worldanvil.com. Subscribe using the promo code in the description of this episode and you'll get 51% off an annual subscription, and you'll be directly supporting the creation of TSP Network shows. Thanks in advance for checking it out. Brought to you by Twin Strangers Productions. Wasting Company Time presents Tell No Tales Episode 10 A Tale to Tell
Hi, hello. It works. Uh, I mean, audio diary of Leo Quinn, assistant of Frank Williamson, etc. It works. I think. I'm mostly sure. I spent all night a while back cleaning up the audio of Mrs. Daniels' interview, and it was so close to being right. There are snippets that are really clear and some parts that still aren't audible, but that's okay. That was last week. I spent all weekend working on the recorder itself, running through ways to tweak the way it picks up sound, but also trying to implement some real-time audio cleanup so that there's less, I suppose it'd be called post-production? Makes it sound way less nerdy when I call it that. Like I'm in Hollywood or something. Anyway, uh, I'm on my way to Stephen's house, well, Cara and Lynn's house. I'm holding my phone like I'm on a call. I mean, it's London. I don't think anyone would actually care if they saw me talking to myself, but anyway, I'm just so... I kind of rushed here as soon as I was done. I want Stephen to be the first voice I capture on this recorder, or at least, I mean, the first voice I capture properly, you know? Now that I'm confident it works, his statement could mean everything in this fight. Hell, if I can eventually get this thing to record and play back in real time, then we could even make a case for Stephen going up against Better Place in core. How cool would that be? Oh, this one, I think. Uh... Leo, um, hi. Hi, Cara. Sorry, crap, I should have called. Sorry. Just, it works, I think. I mean, it's ready, the recorder for... Stephen? Yeah, yeah, I remember. Really? It's ready? We could hear his voice? Yep. Not right away. Obviously, it'll probably need some editing after. It's not... It's not perfect yet, but it's... It works. Can I come in? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, Lynn's out with the kids at tennis. Yeah, um, keeps their energy down, which God knows we need every now and then. Um, hang on. Stephen, you still here? Leo? You Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm alright. Sorry. Had a bit of a bad experience recently, but... Stephen... I know Stephen. And he doesn't... You know, the... The feeling? The goosebumps feeling? He doesn't do that. (laughs) Thanks, Stephen. I appreciate it. And it's good to see you too. They've got the recorder working, apparently. You ready? (laughs) I mean, you can't just tell us that you've been singing to warm up your vocal cords, then not tell us what you've been singing. I'm willing to bet it's frozen if his choices on film night are anything to go by. Every single time he gets to choose. No, Stephen, don't even try to defend yourself. Every time, he always sides with the kids. Some tiebreaker he is. Well, if we get this working properly, like real-time playback someday, then you're going to have to find some other musicals to watch as a family because you're going to get real sick of hearing Steven singing Let It Go 24-7. Worth it. (laughs) Okay, Steven, let's sit. So, I've got some questions I'm going to ask. I won't be able to hear you right away, but I'll be able to see when you've stopped talking. So just, if you're ready for the next question, just a good long pause should do it, okay? And and don't worry if there's anything you don't get to say this time around. There'll be more conversations. This isn't a one-time thing, okay? Okay, let's get... Uh, wait, I should turn this off just in case feedback or something...
Cara, hi, it worked. It, I mean, it's, it's not perfect, but it worked. I've been editing it like nonstop since yesterday and it's ready. Fuck me. Oh, Lucy, do not repeat what Mama just said. Lynn, Lynn, get in here and tell Lucy not to repeat what Mama just said. <laughs> I'm stepping outside. Holy shit, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, really. I've cleaned up the audio and I've added a voiceover to include the questions I asked him. So there's more, you know, context for his answers. I can send it right now. Does email work? Yeah, yeah, sure. Please do. Um, I'll, I'll text you my email. Great. It's an MP3, so it'll just play on your laptop or anything else, so you can just listen right away. That's perfect. Everyone's home, so we can listen right now. That's, um... Thanks, Leo. Thank you. Ugh. Don't thank me. You're the one who made Stephen feel safe. You gave him a voice. I just... You know... Caught it on tape. Okay, cheesy. What are you trying to keep a record going of making me cry every time we speak? <laughs> sorry sorry i'll go Uh, i'll send it right over but i'll keep in touch okay this isn't the last you'll hear of him or me holding you to that speak soon leo yeah speak soon okay let me play it back for the scientific record so steven can you tell me a bit about yourself just the basics for now full name date of birth just to confirm your identity of course My name is Stephen Pritchard. I was born on the 5th of March, 1934. I inherited my father's accounting company, but sold off my shares and invested them instead of working. There was too much risk of losing my job if anybody found out about my partner, Arthur. I died here, in this home in Islington, with Arthur by my side in 1979, at 45 years old. My heart, I believe. My father had passed away fairly young due to heart problems of his own. Okay, and can you tell me a little about your afterlife before you met the family you currently live with? Yes, I am. Excuse me. I haven't had any reason to talk about this for a while. I haven't had any reason to talk at all for a while. I believe my soul was tethered to this home because Arthur remained here after I died. He lived alone for another 30 years. Or, not alone. He was never alone. I think he knew. I think he could feel my... I don't know what to call it. Presence? He speaks to me sometimes. And certainly, like he wasn't completely sure I was there, but like he was trusting that I'd hear him either way. I spoke back, but he never heard me. That was okay, as long as he trusted that I was listening. I could feel myself getting stronger, I suppose, is the best way to explain it. Over those years of him, it wasn't until a few years after he died, though, that I became able to touch things, knock things over. Almost like a person again. That was the moment I accepted that this is what I am now. After Arthur passed, I kept waiting to move on too. Like I would simply fade from existence without him there to anchor me. To dissolve into nothingness, or preferably wherever Arthur's soul was. But that was, well, concrete proof, I suppose, that I was not going to do anything of the sort. As becoming more alive, not less. The house was bought by a landlord who spent some time redecorating before he finally found tenants. And I tried so hard to make myself small when they moved in. I couldn't leave the house, and it isn't big. Despite our parents' wealth, we're hardly flush of cash ourselves. Two men living together in our day didn't exactly invite confidence from employers or investors. We lived modestly to make sure that what we did have was enough to keep us in comfort for the rest of our lives. That meant that after 
There was nowhere to hide. I would spend every day trying to keep silent and unnoticed, moving out to where the tenants. But, well, I'm a little clumsy. It would always end the same way. I'd knock something over, bump into something or someone in my haste to move away. And they get frightened, horrified. I became something horrifying. For two decades, the only words that ever passed my lips were the mumbled apologies that would slip out instinctively whenever something went wrong. Always unheard. A few tried to get the landlord to cover the cost of a visit from better place. But those that did usually spent a few weeks complaining about the reluctant response they received before eventually moving on. Nobody ever stayed longer than a year. Most were students, young professionals. A year-long contract before they changed jobs, left university, fell out with old friends and housemates, moved in with new ones elsewhere. Until Cara and Lynn. Apparently the landlord reduced the rent in order to encourage the next tenants to sign a lengthier contract. Suppose that worked well for us all. So, when Cara and Lynn moved in, can you tell me about how you became part of their family? Cara and Lynn took less than a day before they changed my life, or afterlife, I suppose. I knocked over a lot of boxes on moving day, scared the kids. Cara just took it all in stride, consoled poor crying Mikey by telling him that I was nothing to be afraid of, that I just lived here and that they should all try to be nice guests in my home. Of course, they didn't know it was me yet, but it was still nice to hear, nice to be faced with kindness instead of fear or derision. That night, after everyone had gone to bed, she took out a, a Ouija board. <laughs> it got as far as my name before I gave up and spelled out the word pen instead. It went against every instinct I'd cultivated over the last twenty years to pick up the pen she handed me. Every part of me that worked so hard to stay quiet, small and apologetic. We stayed up late. She asked me questions and I wrote my answers down. Her eyes watched the movement of the pen like she was seeing a miracle happen. I made her laugh. I got bold and witty. Things I had ever really been in life. Arthur was all those things. But I felt him with me that night. There are no words for subtlety, Stephen, he used to say. I felt the truth that, that night. Lynn took a little longer to win over, but her trust, once earned, is worth having. They built me into their lives, piece by piece. A whiteboard in every room, so that I can communicate wherever I am. An armchair just for me, so that nobody has to double-check if I'm already sitting on the couch before they sit. Or, more like, nobody can forget to double-check. Always awkward when that happens. The kids show me their drawings, come rushing home from school to tell me all about their days. Lynn will come to talk about her manager at work, or chat to me while she cooks. Cara looks up information on my life, shares with me what she can, tells me about the people I knew, what happened to them, their kids now, grandkids. They can't hear or see me, but I feel seen and heard. That's what counts. That's, yeah, that's what counts. Thanks, Stephen. Just one last question. Do you have anything you'd like to say about Better Place and their removal of ghosts? Well, it's strange. A few years ago, I would have welcomed Better Place, regardless of what happened to me after. My existence was, at times I almost believed that I was in hell after all. So many years of isolation. The times I thought that perhaps better place might not really take me to where Arthur was, but I didn't care. As long as I was gone, I'm so glad they didn't. I 
never told anybody this, but there were moments, many moments actually in life, where I felt the same way. Had somebody offered to resolve the issue during my lifetime, it would have been called murder, regardless of how nicely I asked. In life, things got better when I met Arthur. Not all the way, but mostly. In my afterlife, Cara and Lynn were the ones who brought happiness back to me. Everyone deserves the chance to live long enough to see the other side, if you'll forgive the pun. And just before I go, is there anything else you'd like to say? Just thank you to all of you, to, to Cara and Lynn and little Lucy and Mikey for the kindness, for the armchair reserved just for me, for the framed photo of Arthur on the wall playing chess with me and setting books aside for me and for asking my opinion on film nights, letting me become part of your family. I know you know it. I know I write it often, but I'd like you to hear it from me, for you to know the extent of my gratitude. And to you, Leo, I don't know why you've worked so hard to allow me to speak to my family, but I'm grateful to you for that too. Thank you. Oh god, now I'm gonna cry again. I can't believe this. I... This... This is... It changes everything. Not just for Stephen, but everything. This can help people. Holy shit, it can really help people. I've just listened to a ghost thank me for my work in his own voice. A voice of a man that died... 50 years ago. He's been dead 50 years and I had a conversation with him and heard what he had to say. Holy shit. I've got to... I don't know. I've got to do something. Maybe find another... That's... Julia? Why is Julia calling me? Oh crap, I need to answer. I, uh... uh... Episode 10 of Tell No Tales, A Tale to Tell, was written and performed by Leanne Egan. You also heard the voices of Chris Casarini as Cara and Cameron Chergette as Stephen. If you enjoyed this episode, the best way to support the show is to spread the word. Leaving us a rating and a review in your listening app of choice is a huge help. Or you can follow us on Twitter or Tumblr at TellNoTalesPod. Links and information about transcripts can be found in the show notes. Tell No Tales is distributed by Wasting Company Time Productions under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. Thank you for listening. And remember, the dead don't bite.